Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Thoughtful conversations about the news of the day, and we address the existential threats to America. Is that Afghanistan again? Talk about that. Today, we'll catch up with Gordon Chang. He's a brilliant guy, conservative columnist, blogger, television pundit, author, and lawyer. He's the author of the book, The Coming Collapse of China. I wonder if he thinks that's still true, Claude. Mm-hmm. And Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. But I'd like to discuss a few things first. Hearings on the Hill with the generals was actually pretty uh, straightforward. They gave advice, and the advice wasn't taken. They gave advice to the president to keep 2,500 troops there. My audience is very familiar with this argument. They've heard me say this. This was what Ryan Crocker was saying. Remember, he pointed out in 2010, we had 100,000 troops on the ground, and the Taliban controlled no provincial capital. Mm -hmm. In 2019, 20, we had 2,500, 5,000, 2,500 troops on the ground, and the Taliban controlled no provincial capital. Right. Keep it that way. It is clear all three of these guys, General Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Secretary Austin, Secretary of Defense, uh, and General McKenzie, who was in charge on the ground in Afghanistan, all made this recommendation to President Biden that he keep troops there, 2,500. President disregarded it. The president is free to do that. He's the president. Civilian control of the military. He can make whatever decisions he wants. Lincoln disregarded the advice of general several times. Usually, listen. But the point here is that Biden lied. And if I were making a sign, I guess I'd say Biden lied and people died. Biden lied when he was asked by George Stephanopoulos, were you not given advice to keep 2,500 troops there? And he said, no, no. First, I don't recall. Then, no, no. And that's just not true. That's just not true. And the problem is keeping 2,500 troops there makes sense. Made a lot of sense. You could have uh, evacuated people, all the people you needed to get out with those troops. You could have kept Bagram, and you could have kept the Taliban at bay. Uh, I think this is a horrible thing, and the president needs to answer for his lies. He won't admit he's lying, and they'll take this thing well in the long run. You know, we were saying nobody. And I disagree with that decision, too. Something else was said in the testimony. You and I are talking between the time of the Senate hearings and the House hearings, which are going on today as we speak. And that was, to put it in military language, logistically it was a success, but strategically it was a failure. That means they got all these people out, but they lost the war. Taliban now runs the country. Never to negotiate with the Taliban. Both presidents did that, and I'm not going to back off from that. Trump ordered it, started it. But the decision was Biden's to end the war, to pull them all out. We lost the war. And we lost the war and didn't have to. And the president should, not, should have listened to the advice of his generals. And the president lied when he said he was not given that advice. Shame on the president. It's really all I have to say about that, except we can expect more trouble from Afghanistan. We'll talk to our friend Gordon Chang about that. Comments? Yeah, well, so when you talk about not listening to the advice of, you know, your generals, it, it, it makes clear what the president's agenda is or the president's agenda was you know, in Afghanistan, that it didn't matter whether or not all hell would break loose. It didn't matter whether or not you can get everybody out. It didn't matter whether or not there'd be loss of life. What mattered was the fact that we're going to leave and want to take everyone out. um, And it doesn't matter what the cost is. Uh, Even if the cost is uh, Afghanistan will be back in the control of of the Taliban and they will, you know, harbor future terrorists. It doesn't matter what it is. His priority had nothing to do with keeping the country safe. Uh, it had everything to do with, you know, the political um, I'm, I'm guessing maybe he sees some sort of political advantage from being the president that got America out of Afghanistan, no matter whether it's good for the country or not. That's what he wanted to do. And, it, it, and we talked about this right after the election. He seems to be super uh, and it's, it could be because of age, but he seems to be super um, tentative to legacy, who he is and who he was as a politician, as a president. Early on, as soon as he gets in the office, it's all about legacy. And he wanted to be the guy, uh, you know, that did that. Even at the, at, at the point where he could have used it as a chance to, to, to hit the reset button. We're going <laughs> to withdraw civilians and everyone else, but we're going to leave 2,500 or whatever the number is there to keep things under control because there still is a threat. And if we leave this country up, the, up to the Afghanistan, uh, Afghani government, it's going to fall to the Taliban, and we just can't let that happen. No, we don't want to be here. Yeah, we're going to try to get everyone out, but we've got to leave a contingent there. You can be honest with, with the American people. I feel like, you know, we we are accepting of things that we don't necessarily like if we know the truth behind it and you're straight up honest with us. Yeah. 
and he didn't take that opportunity. It just shows his priorities. You are right about a lot of things. Early on, he had historians there to say, what do I have to do to have a legacy? So, you know, <laughs> right. What do I have to do yeah. to go down in history? But normally, it's just do the job, and history will, will uh, write itself, right? I mean, so he thought September 11th, 20th anniversary, he'd announce all troops are out. So get them all out, willy-nilly, no matter what. And that was the big mistake. That was the threshold mistake. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I'm afraid this is politics. Uh, you know, politics enters into decisions, of course, we understand that. But to enter decisions about war and life and death and soldiers, no, sir, shouldn't happen. Really shouldn't happen. So a story, what? What's the story? I yeah, so I, I just sent you a text message and said, it's something I've got to talk about from last weekend. Got together with a few of my golf buddies at uh, one of my buddies' houses. Had the fire pit going, the grill going. We're having a good time. And uh, one of the guys that I played golf with, uh, and I just met this guy on the golf course. We played one round together, but we, we, he, he was invited to this you know, little get-together. He shares the story that he just took his son down to college. Uh, he goes to Hampton uh, uh, University, and he said, you know, missing my son. He was like my best friend, and he's in college, you know, but just trying to make sure he stays straight and narrow. And so we all started talking about college and universities and things like that. And almost to a person, everyone was saying <laughs> that the money they spent in college, they wish they could get it back and that it just wasn't worth really? it. Really? Yeah, and so they were talking about the premise is college worth it? So this guy says, uh, and this is a guy that I just played with once, but he's buddies with another golf buddy, and he, he was there. He says, have any of you been following what um, William Bennett has been saying about college for the last few years? And so, of course, my eyes, my ears perk up because yeah. I know he's talking about you. Me. Exactly. He says he's got this whole premise that the return on investment is just hasn't been worth it for so many. Why have we been elevating, you know, go to college, pay all this money, Money, Who is this genius guy? His name is Don. But he, he, and so a buddy of mine says, you know, Claude, you know, works with Bill on his podcast, on his radio show. And so we, you know, all kind of laughed about it. And he says, and, and then, of course, he says, well, I think he's a Trump guy. So I don't know what else I agree with him on. But <laughs> but he's right about the college thing. And everyone to a person says, no, it's right. I mean, if I could go back, I wouldn't have spent all that money. That's on great. So, oh, that's great. And so, what yeah. kind of guy is he? White, black guy, black, black, oh, no, guy? black. Well, everyone around this everyone table was black. It was all, it was, all it was, black. Guys. It was an all black event. So <laughs> he, that, that explains the Trump thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. But here's what he, he says. You know, and then uh, someone makes the comment like, "Well, you know, well, maybe you should explore what you know what 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 Bennett feels about other stuff because you know yeah. if you agree on this, maybe you agree with some of the other things." Yeah. <laughs> so it was just interesting. I mean, you came That's up. Great. And he's been following your stuff on education. Read the I book. Love it. Uh, is college worth? It and, I love uh, it. I totally love it. Yeah, so Thank that was you. just interesting. Thank yeah. you. Wonderful. Thank you. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. All right, it's time to jump in with Gordon Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fine, Bill. So did you hear the generals uh, yesterday uh, testify? Some of it. What's your takeaway? Yeah, I think the most important thing is that General Milley was talking about how the Chinese thought that we were going to attack them. And if I were General Lee, I would be asking a number of questions. First of all, interrupt no you. Why, why do you, why do you think General Milley thought they were going to attack? Why wasn't why wasn't he just paying obeisance to uh, Nancy Pelosi who said you got to call that Chinese guy because Trump's crazy? Trump's crazy. So he said, all right, I'll call him. That very well may have been it. Um, I look at it from a Chinese perspective um, because um, that, I think, had a number of very disadvantageous effects. Um, There were no objective indications that the Chinese thought we were going to attack them. There were no unusual military movements. There were no civilian preparations. And perhaps most indicative of all, there was no propaganda. And China certainly would have signaled its concern if it felt that the United States was going to attack. So if you're General uh, Li Zhou-Cheng and you get two phone calls from General Milley, you must be thinking, you know that that General Lee knows that the Americans are not going to attack him. So when Milley talks about this, I think that General Lee then said, there must be a spy in uh, Beijing. And I think they're probably now on an intensified search for an American spy in either the Chinese military or in the top reaches of the Communist Party. But there's an even more important aspect to this bill, and that is that Chinese uh, elite 
members um, in the military, civilian, think that the United States is in political disarray and terminal decline. And Milley's phone call must have reinforced that notion. For sure. And I think that makes the Chinese even more belligerent and arrogant than they normally are, thinking that they can do what they want. So I think that Milley's phone calls actually made the world far less safe than it was before he got on the phone with General Lee. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, obviously it looks like we're in disarray. Totally in disarray. I agree. Um, What about the fact that the generals recommended a course of action, which the president didn't take? Presidents can do that. But then the president lied about it to George Stephanopoulos when he said no one gave him advice to leave 2,500 troops. Yes. I mean, that is critical because, you know, we heard Biden as a candidate talk about truthfulness and transparency. And obviously, um, uh, President Biden did not tell the truth um, on a number of occasions when he said that uh, he had not received advice to stay there, where he clearly did. Um, and I think it was not only from General Milley, but also from Secretary Austin. So really, this is a case where the American people uh, need to have an accounting. Um, there's a lot to go on here, um, but clearly Biden made the world less safe by doing that as well, um, because we know that that has uh, not only emboldened China, but it's also disheartened our allies and friends. And perhaps the country that was most disadvantaged by the chaotic withdrawal was India. And I believe that the most important bilateral relationship in the world going forward is not going to be our relationship with Beijing, but with New Delhi. And we know from conversations that a number of people have had that uh, America's friends in New Delhi have been delegitimized by the withdrawal and that uh, Indian policymakers are now turning once again to Russia. And that is going to be a a decade-long problem for us to repair. So um, when you look at this from many different perspectives, uh, this has been a debacle for the United States. Uh, Biden needs to own up to it, and he needs to start telling the truth to the American public. Very interesting to get your perspective from the East uh, as opposed to the West. We're all focusing on the Western perspective here. Um, what the general said, Biden's disregard of it, what this means uh, at home. Also, the other thing I took away as big was very big. In military language, the general said, logistically, it was a success. Strategically, it was a failure, meaning we lost the war. Correct? Well, I would look at it as a logistic failure. If you're leaving $82.7 billion worth of equipment, maybe a little bit more, um, I don't see how you see that as a success. More important, if you're leaving hundreds of Americans, and probably it is hundreds, not 800, but hundreds of Americans behind, that's not a logistical success. If, for instance, you have failed to take out your allies, and our allies pleaded with us for help on withdrawing um, their forces and their nationals, that's also not a logistical success. So um, I think that uh, this was a failure all around, and it was more than just a failure. It was a failure that we are going to feel uh, for years and maybe as much as uh, a decade. This is, uh, it, it has taken our relationships with our allies and has degraded them. And remember, Biden ran as uh, being able to work better with allies and friends of the United States. Yeah. You know, as we've seen during his presidency, um, relations with our close allies and friends have deteriorated, um, not improved. What's the odds that there will be cause to be back in Afghanistan? Well, I actually think that we probably will be, though I'm not an Afghan expert, but what um, strikes me is that uh, China has been aiding the Taliban. Um, I'm sure that uh, the Taliban is going to give a safe home and and base for terrorists who will strike the United States. Um, This seems to me like uh, we're going to have to go back there to protect ourselves again. And um, one other aspect about this bill Um, I worry about what the Chinese will supply to the Taliban, perhaps even the fixings for an atomic device, um, which would be used against the United States. Wow. We can't rule that out because we know that China has proliferated nuclear weapons technology to North Korea, but more important to Pakistan. And then China watched the AQ Khan network in Pakistan take China's technology and sell it to uh, Libya, uh, to uh, Iran. Uh, perhaps to Iraq as well, so across the Middle East and North Africa. 
So we can't put this past the Chinese. One other point, and that is that uh, China is the villain, but we've had a series of American presidents who have permitted them to engage in the world's most destructive behavior. So, for instance, during the Taliban's insurgency, China was selling uh, arms to the Taliban, including anti-aircraft missiles. And those arms were used to kill NATO and American forces. And no American president has imposed costs on China for doing that. So, yes, the Chinese committed acts of war against the United States. But no, we've not had a leader to acknowledge that. And we had no leader who was willing to stop it when we had the means to do so. So I believe that the American people should be outraged against the Chinese. But they should also be outraged against their presidents, starting with George W. Bush. But... General opinion is that Donald Trump stood up to China, was tough on China. I believe that Trump um, was tough on China. Uh, what The most important thing that Trump did was he uh, changed uh, decades of failed engagement policy and started to impose costs. I don't think that Trump imposed costs that uh, were commensurate. I think he should have done a lot more. Um, but he started this, and he did probably the most any uh, president of a democratic society could do, um, because it's not what he thought he should be doing, but he also had to keep in mind what the American people wanted. But nonetheless, um, we have, uh, it was insufficient um, given the circumstance, because we're in a dire situation, far more serious than Americans realize. And, And Bill, we could lose our country. Uh, And I think that we will lose our country unless we change course, unless we start to recognize what the Chinese have been saying, because they have been calling us an enemy. In the recent months, especially in August, they laid the justification for attacks on America with their propaganda. And so we don't, we're just oblivious. And right now we have, you know, a guy sitting in the Oval Office who is not defending us against China. I'm not saying he's not taking any steps because he is taking some, but they clearly are insufficient. And we've seen over the last month or so that Biden's moves have become much softer on China. And that is absolutely the wrong direction. Trump started something that was really good, um, and Biden has not continued it with the same vigor that is absolutely required for the times that we're in. Wouldn't we see, I want to come back to your notion of China, you know, sort of setting the stage for attacking America. Wouldn't we see Hong Kong and Taiwan first? We don't know. Okay, um, we don't know. Chinese, the Chinese could easily surprise us. What you're talking about is something which is uh, sort of a nuclear atta- a nuclear attack. Um, that is not impossible um, because China has actually threatened in the last couple months uh, nuclear attacks against Japan and Australia. It's made some vague threats about the U.S. on that regard. And over the course of the last 15, 20 years, there have been a number of unprovoked threats to use nuclear weapons against the United States. So um, I'm particularly concerned about an uh, an August 29th piece in People's Daily, which is the most authoritative publication in China, which accused the United States of, quote unquote, barbaric acts against China. What were those acts? Um, They didn't specify. Um, though we can we can guess a number of things that uh, they that they've been talking about, um, but um, the point here is not the uh, not what China specifically believes, okay. but what China has been signaling. Okay. Because China, unlike let's say the Japanese in World War II, the Chinese always signal their punches, um, and uh, they've been very clear in their propaganda about uh, what they think they can do with regard to the United States. Uh, if not nuclear, do you think there's a biological warfare aspect? Have they already done that? Is that what Wuhan was? They've already that they've already done, Bill. Um, that was Wuhan. We don't know the or, we don't know the origin of COVID nineteen for sure, but we do know certain things, and that is that at the end of December of two thousand nineteen and the beginning of January twenty twenty, the Chinese leaders knew that SARS CoV two, which is the pathogen causing COVID nineteen was highly transmissible from person to person. But they then engaged in a campaign to tell the world it was not contagious. At the same time, while they were locking down Wuhan and other cities, they were pressuring countries around the world not to impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. And it was, of course, those arrivals from China that took a disease that should have been confined to the central part of China and made it a global pandemic. 4.7 million people killed, 4.75 million people killed, 691,000 
Americans killed. Um, so that was biological warfare because China had to know that it was deliberately spreading the disease, that the steps it was taking would inevitably lead to the spread of the disease beyond China's borders when it didn't have to do so. So yeah, that is biological warfare. That's murder. And the reason why this is especially important is because we know from the writings of Chinese military researchers that they're working on what they call, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks, which means pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune but sicken and kill everybody else, which means that um, the next bug from China could be a civilization killer. You know, the Chinese talk about how the world should be ruled by China, that China is the world's only sovereign state. And we Americans either don't know about that or we don't pay attention and we think that it is impossible. Well, if they were able to develop such a pathogen, it would not be impossible that China would rule the world. So um, I'm not saying that they have been able to successfully develop such a bug, but they're working on it. And we know that they have made some progress in that regard. What do you want an American president to do right now in regard to what you've just described or other things? If an American president were acting the way you would like him to act, what would he do, she do? Um, well, the guy sitting in the Oval Office is a male, so I'll use the With the male, sure, sure. Um, first of all, I like to cut trade almost to nothing or nothing. Um, certainly cut all investment into China. Those bellicose, aren't those bellicose or even barbaric acts? I'm sure the Chinese would think it that way, but this is our country and uh, okay, it's our ahead. sovereign right to decide who we trade with and who we invest in. Okay, go ahead. Um, the other thing we would should do is um, cut all technical cooperation agreements, prevent China from buying our tech companies, maybe even forcing divestiture of them. We need to turf out China's agents, um, which means that I believe we should uh, close their four, four remaining consulates in the United States. Donald Trump did a great thing. He closed the Houston consulate. Well, we need to close the other four because they've been engaging in spying and other activities some of which constitute acts of war against the United States. We should cut the embassy staff down to next to nothing. We should turf out their state banks, their state businesses. Um, we should demand reciprocity, which means that we can't have our media in China. Well, why does China have its media in our country? China um, has uh, TikTok and other apps in our country, which are proof allowed, we should prohibit them because China prohibits our apps in China. We can't have a Reagan Institute in China. So why do we allow them to have Confucius Institutes on our college and university campuses? And why in the world do we allow some 500 Confucius classrooms in our secondary schools? Yeah, no kidding. So, well, what about 360,000? It's the last number I heard Chinese students in American universities. And I have heard that they are by law agents of the state. Uh, therefore, spies, maybe small letter spies, but spies. Should they be well, returned? Should they be sent home? Um, this is really a really complicated question. Okay. Uh, you're referring to Article 7 and 14 of the National Security Law of 2017 in China, which requires every Chinese national and every Chinese organization to spy if demanded. So every Chinese student is at least under a compulsion to spy, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't mean that they're spying. Um, estimates put about 13% or so of those students as actually spying or engaging in some type of espionage, which is um, incompatible, of course, with their status in the U.S. There are a number of things that we – this is a really difficult question, and I'm speaking as the son of a student uh, yeah. from China. This was, this was a scholarship from the prior government, the nationalist government of Chiang Kai-shek, but clearly this is an issue that I, that I take to heart. There's an intermediary step, and, and this, again, um, every president going back to about Clinton has been guilty of this. We've, uh, um, we've been allowing China's agents and its diplomats to control students – uh, Chinese students on our campuses. We know about what it's going on. China really hasn't tried to hide this. We haven't stopped them. And yes, what they're doing is wrong and criminal, but we've permitted them to do this because we've had the means to stop them and we've had every president chosen not to stop them. So this is on us. And again, I think the American people should be just outraged at this. Um, this is our country. We don't have to put up with this. And yet we had, uh, we have. So this is our fault. I think that if we actually move against China's diplomats and agents um, who have been monitoring um, and coercing students, 
we would solve a lot of the problems, not all of them, which means um, I think that um, every Chinese national in the U.S. Um, should be under special scrutiny. This is not racial. This is just a recognition that for two reasons, they're under a compulsion to spy. The 2017 national intelligence law and the Communist Party's top-down system, which yeah. requires uh, every person to do what the Communist Party tells them. All right, let's go back to China and um, the threat to the United States. Uh, we mentioned nuclear. We mentioned bio. Um, I'll just give you an example. Radio Free Asia tells us that uh, an intelligence unit of the People's Liberation Army last year based themselves in the now-closed Houston consulate. And from there, the Chinese military used artificial intelligence and big data to identify Americans likely to participate in Black Lives Matter and Antifa protests. And then they created and sent them videos via TikTok on how to riot. That is more than just an act of subversion. That's an act of war against the United States. Um, A Chinese... um, uh, a journalist, uh, Chen Weiwa, who is the European bureau chief for China Daily, which is a Communist Party publication, on October 18th of last year actually tweeted out that he hoped that there would be more petrol-throwing um, crowds, petrol-bomb-throwing crowds in the United States. That tweet alone is an act of war. And by the way, Twitter did not take down Chen's tweet or de-platform him. Of course. Uh, but, you know, the list goes on and on of... of hostile acts that China has committed against the U.S. Let me just mention one more. There were 53,000 or so fentanyl deaths in the U.S. last year. This right. is Chinese right. fentanyl. I know that. The mm-hmm. Chinese Communist Party knows about it. And they permit this. Um, and we should consider each of those 53,000 or so deaths a murder. Um, China has yes. been killing Americans. And again, we've had a series of American presidents who've known about this, but have not taken effective steps. Do you know if there is a specific connection, I've wondered about this, between the makers of fentanyl in China and the Mexican cartels? They work hand in hand. Um, okay. And then largely because, um, and this was, this was true um, some time ago, and President Trump tried to do something about this, though what he did, in my view, was not enough. But at least he made an attempt to do this, which is a start. But we know that um, uh, for two reasons. First of all, China has been increasingly using the Mexico route to bring in fentanyl into the United States. And matter of fact, fentanyl is coming across our southern border in record quantities because Customs and Border Protection is completely overwhelmed with people coming yes, across our border. Yes, yes. They don't have the resources to stop the fentanyl. Second thing is that money laundering in the world has been taken over, not not taken over, but has been the Chinese have made great inroads into laundering money for criminals around the world. Matter of fact, they're the leading money launderers in the world today. And the Chinese money launderers use Chinese state banks. When you run a near total surveillance state, you know what's going on. So they know about, in in Beijing, they know about the money laundering. They know about these fentanyl gangs, which are large, international, far-flung. They know about it. So um, we should be holding the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese central government responsible for killing Americans. And yes, they do work very closely with the Mexican cartels. It's hand-in-glove type of operation. Does this focus on Afghanistan, the reemergence of al-Qaeda, ISIS, whatever, ISIS-K? Does this take our eye off the ball and the ball being China? Well, China's involved supporting the Taliban. Um, so, But knowing uh, where the real and ultimate target is, uh, or yeah, should be. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and this highlights something, and Bill, and that is that we have got um, a world which is falling apart. It's falling apart in Afghanistan. we got China. we got an aggressive Russia. Iran's on the march. North Korea is firing off missiles faster than we can count them. Um, the world is one of those moments that um, it could be on the edge of its last crisis. A friend of mine, Jim Holmes of the Naval War College, says that this moment reminds him of 1937. And if you were in Europe in, or in America in 1937, you could sort of sense the danger. If you were in Asia, you would be um, extremely worried because that was the year in which uh, Japan launched its second invasion of China. But wherever you were in the world, you couldn't be sure that the worst would happen that the great armies around the world would clash because you still had hope that everything could be managed. But as we know, the worst did happen. And in fact, what happened was worse than what anyone at the time thought. Yeah. So we're at a 37 moment. I'm not saying that, that this is the world going to um, end up in its next great conflict, but I am saying we should not be surprised. Um, 
and we have a Pentagon, for instance, that is totally um, oblivious. Well, I wouldn't say totally oblivious, but we have, if I may continue just for a second, um, we have a Pentagon that now wants to start uh, taking down what they call legacy platforms, which are existing weapons, so they can pay for modernization uh, and the weapons of tomorrow. This is, this is wrong. If we're going to war, it's probably this decade because of various things that are occurring in China. So we should be preparing to fight tonight as U.S. forces Korea. That, that's their motto. Um, we've got a Pentagon which is just does not understand the danger. Yes, of course, they see China as an enemy or an adversary, but they're thinking in terms which make them even less prepared to deal with China, and they're moving in entirely the wrong directions. They need to be prepared to fight at any moment because that looks like it's occurring. Gordon, please come back. We, we, we discussed it early, and I think I just missed it about the significance of the loss of Afghanistan. I thought you were very smart about saying you know, it wasn't a logistical success, not when you lose that much equipment uh, and people. Uh, uh, and it was certainly a strategic failure at the loss of the war. But you were talking about the effect in India. Would you repeat that, please, for me and for the benefit of my listeners? India has been moving um, over, starting with the Clinton administration. And, you know, it's great Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump. Uh, even Biden have uh, been courting India, um, and India is part of what's called the Quad, which is India, U.S., Japan, Australia. It's a, a loose security um, pact. Um, and India was, um, I, I think the biggest effect on the withdrawal of Afghanistan was India, because India was a main backer of the Afghan government. Um, and in Indian policy circles, there's been for a very long time back and forth about who India should be working with. And the Americanists in New Delhi were winning. Um, after the fall of Afghanistan, for a number of reasons, um, basically our friends in New Delhi policy-making circles have been delegitimized, and now um, India, the Indian government, is looking more towards Russia. It's you know old Cold War yeah. friend, not and China. And, well, and, and Russia is of course. Um, has a very strong relationship with China. Um, so this, you know, people in New Delhi are saying, well, they need to compromise with China. And right now you have Chinese troops in Indian-controlled territory and also in India's Sikkim. This is, this is really important for us because um, our relationship with India has to be the backstop. Uh, it has to be the part that contains a militant China. And we have lost a um, couple decades worth of uh, goodwill built up from every president from Clinton onward. Let me ask you this. I know we need to let you go in a, in a minute or two. Do you have two more minutes for us, please? Of course. Thank you. Um, you talk about China and China being so strong and maybe dead set on our destruction and that this could happen soon or at least efforts in that regard. How does the world, India, Australia... England, Germany, uh, Russia, uh, who, how do they regard the world, the great world powers? Do they think China is the greatest world power or do they think the U.S. is the greatest world power? How do they see it? Or have you already answered that question? Yeah, you know, countries around the world have different views on this. But what Biden has been done is he has, uh, first of all, he's undermined America's relationship with our closest allies and friends. And this is true, really, across the board, with maybe one or two exceptions. Um, and the exceptions would be Australia and the UK. Um, but everywhere else, we have seen um, our friends just disheartened by what's occurred. Because this is, you know, the, the idea of leaving Afghanistan, I don't agree with it, but it's not irrational. But what is irrational is the way we left. Um, and, um, this has really, um, this has been a moment like the, after the fall of Vietnam, um, and where the United States was considered to be incapable. And we know this from Chinese propaganda. You know, I, we talked about the barbaric acts. Well, two other propaganda themes of China were evident in the immediate wake of the fall of Kabul, that the U.S., which couldn't deal with the Taliban insurgents could never hope to counter a magnificent China. The other propaganda narrative was that Taiwan would fall within a couple of days and the U.S. would not help 
once China decides to invade. And this is really, uh, and this is a reflection. I don't, I don't think that those things are true, but this is a reflection of what Chinese leaders, in fact, think. Which means it makes it more likely for them to do uh, uh, to to engage in acts that could lead to um, a conflict with Taiwan. You know, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, has made it um, a part of his uh, right to rule that he will take Taiwan. As he said, he can't leave this question of Taiwan from generation to generation, and he has told the Chinese people, and he's also told senior cadres privately that he will be the one that recovers Taiwan, quote unquote. Well, the People's Republic has never ruled Taiwan. Taiwan doesn't view itself as Chinese. There's a lot of reasons why Xi Jinping's views are wrong, but he has those views. Um, and, you know, I don't know what Biden would do about um, uh, if there was an attack on Taiwan. Um, I know that, that Biden has um, tried to enhance our military ties with Taiwan. Um, it's been stepped up uh, deterrence patrols in the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea, and those are good things. First, would, but would, they haven't been sufficient. Would Taiwan fight back first? Yes. Yes. Uh, you're starting to see um, people do opinion surveys on this question all the time, and you're starting to see more and more Taiwanese um, say that they will fight. Um, and, 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 and the reason is they don't view themselves as Chinese. They view – if you look at – Self-identification surveys, they show that people in Taiwan believe that they're Taiwanese, not Chinese. And that's not a fair fight, right? It is an interesting fight if the Chinese don't use nuclear weapons, um, because it's not entirely clear that even if the U.S. didn't help, that uh, China would be able to absorb Taiwan militarily. Um, really? And if they, if they were able to uh, win the initial stages, they'd be fighting years-long insurgency in the mountains. Why wouldn't they I use think, nuclear? Would they? Um, the Chinese have said that they would, so I guess we got to take them at their word, especially if they felt that uh, they were losing. Um, what they could do is change the equation overnight. Um, so, you know, China, so as they, I mentioned— They bomb Taipei then, huh? They drop a nuke on Taipei. And Kaohsiung and some other cities, uh, yeah, they 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 could very well do that. It's it's not out of the realm of the possible, and we would have to prepare for that. Um, China's building all those missile silos, 345 of them in three locations, probably using them to try to intimidate others not to come to Taiwan's aid. Um, the reason why Taiwan could hold out is that other countries. Um, would lend a hand. Who would they be? In all, in I think Japan. Japan, sure. Um, Australia? Maybe. All right, Japan, maybe. okay. But and what about U.S.? Likely yes, likely no? I would say likely yes, um, but what, I'm not sure. What degree, you know, too. I just yeah. don't know with Biden. Um, there is um, there, there's a growing sentiment in the United States that we should defend Taiwan. I think the Chinese are going to be so hostile that they will push American political opinion to the okay. point where Biden has to. Okay. Um, but and the other complication is that in order to attack Taiwan, they probably would have to attack American bases first. So that would bring us into the fight. Um, China is aggressive enough to do something like that. Where so are, where are, are our our bases relevant to Taiwan? They would be um, in Okinawa. Now, yeah, where my son was. Yeah, okay, yeah. We have an, um, Okinawa sure. is um, sure. A, it has a lot of U.S. military personnel. Sure um, also, in the main Japanese island, um, we've got uh, substantial assets. Um, the question is whether we would be permitted by South Korea to use our twenty-eight thousand five hundred forces in South Korea. Answer there is probably no, but we probably would move them over to Japan. Um, I'm, I'm pausing yeah. over this because I'm wondering whether this would in, in any way tell us about our resolve vis-a-vis -vis directly against China, our willingness you know, to defend an ally with whom we have a treaty. This is really one of the – this is, in my mind, one of the most, if not the most, critical um, security questions we face. Okay. And I believe that the defense of Taiwan is critical, not just to the defense of Japan, but also to the United States for various reasons. Let me ask um, you. Let me ask you this, and we'll, we will let you go. You wrote a book, "The Coming Collapse of China." Really? Still? Any chance? Um, much more chance now than, um, let's say, a year ago. I mean, in 2001, I said that the Communist Party would fall in a decade, and 
obviously I got that one really wrong. Um, I didn't foresee a number of things, including the 2008 downturn, which substantially strengthened the party. Um, but what the party did to get through 2008 was to go on a debt uh, spree. And right now, China is having its 2008 crisis. And I don't think there's just so much debt in China now. I don't think that there is any solution. And um, this, to me, is one of the reasons why I think that if there's going to be a conflict with China, it's going to be fairly soon. And the reason is that uh, China can see a closing window of opportunity. I see. If they have an attack, they collapse. Yeah, I mean, they've got a they've got a debt problem now, which they can't deal with. And the Communist Party could very well make the um, assessment that they need to create military misadventure abroad to win the support of the Chinese people. Is that um, support waning at the moment? I think that it is. Um, it people the Chinese people, I think, are not in favor of an invasion of Taiwan. Um, but also, I think that we see. Um, a lot of people in the Chinese military think it would not be a good idea because this involves Xi Jinping uh, himself, and he is under um, assault. But he's got a low threshold of risk right now. He's very powerful, um, and um, he could very well decide that uh, if he's going to die anyway because of a political purge, he might as well take everybody else with him right. um, and maybe roll the dice and succeed. So. This is an exceedingly dangerous time right now because China is weak. And by the way, it's not just a debt crisis. Their economy was stalling anyway, and they've got uh, food shortages, which are severe and getting worse. And they're on the edge of the world's steepest demographic decline in the absence of war or disease. So um, they've got simultaneous crises that they do not have the um, resources to deal with. And that makes them more dangerous than they would be if they were actually strong. Let me make a comment to the listeners, and you can add something or not. Folks, you may be wondering why I'm spending so much time talking to Gordon about China. It's because everybody's saying, well, what's the next threat from Afghanistan? Is there a threat from Afghanistan? Is Al-Qaeda, ISIS, ISIS-K? We may be looking in the wrong place. A bigger threat, a much more consequential threat, maybe even a more immediate threat may be China. Fair enough? Fair enough, because even if Chinese leaders decided not to launch an invasion um, to save themselves, they're engaging in dangerous intercepts of the U.S. Navy and yeah. U.S. Air Force and yeah. Global Commons. One of those intercepts could go terribly wrong, and we could lose uh, servicemen and women, and, and that would be something that probably would create a spiral that the Chinese uh, could not control and that we certainly ourselves could not control. Gordon Chang, thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. Wonderful to elaborate on this stuff. Thank you so much, sir. Bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. I'm thinking about Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. It's testimony of the generals. Conversation with Gordon Chang. And wondering whether we become so fixated on one thing that we don't see the rest of the world. We need peripheral vision. I mean, Gordon says China may try to do us in the next year mm-hmm. that's a big deal mm-hmm. let's not be focused on afghanistan then let's you know be looking at china and other places okay good reminder mm-hmm. gotta look everywhere at once i'm sitting here and i'm just reading in the break my fox assignment for tonight is to talk about the democrats and their budget busting bill well that's another whole thing i don't know i mean i hadn't had much of my attention because mm-hmm. i haven't focused in on this withdrawal from afghanistan not to even mention the situation on the southern border. Southern border's huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but if we're going to be invaded by China, I guess I'd take a pause on that. I don't know. Right. But, um, yes, thanks for reminding me. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, it's it's perfect. Right. If you hadn't reminded me, I might not have brought it up, and that would have proved the point to a listener. Right. Well, hell, of course he's distracted and even mentioned the southern border. Mm-hmm. So it's a very important point. I got another item on the uh, Fox agenda for tonight uh, for Brett Baer, which is talk about the Virginia gubernatorial race. Good mm-hmm. Lord, you know. Yeah. Haven't given that a ton of thought, but, you know, I'll have to turn some attention to it. So much going on. You got to prioritize first things first. If Gordon's right, that's where our attention should be. Mm-hmm. So I think we got to give that some attention. Well, that's what we got the uh, Committee on the Present Danger China for. Brian Kennedy is the chairman. Right. Presumably they're doing their work, and I think Gordon's 
pretty much plugged into those guys. Mm -hmm. But there's so many things to look for. Talk about whack-a-mole. And these are whack-a-monsters, you know? Yeah. And some of them interconnected. I mean, you know, not necessarily separate. I mean, you can you can, you can tie. And Gordon kind of did that, you know, uh, this Afghanistan situation with U.S.-China policy. And he also tied in China with uh, Mexico, right. fentanyl mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. coming through the border. They're close ties, the Chinese and the fentanyl makers with the cartels in Mexico. Right. And, I mean, it was almost, what, two or three years ago we couldn't do a show without mentioning something about Russia. I haven't even talked about anything with no, Russia. No, nothing about Russia. Yeah. They don't exist. Putin doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Gosh, but it also makes you depressed and takes your mind off college football, you know. Right. <laughs> We don't have time to talk about things like that. No, but we should make time because it yeah, helps. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. helps keep your sanity and remember right. to keep your sanity. Right. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Policy Genius can help you refresh your cool weather wardrobe for autumn, but they can help you shop for another kind of wardrobe and coverage, life insurance. I just refreshed my fall wardrobe. Had to let some things out because I put on a little bit of weight. So those 32 size, those, uh, size 32 jeans and pants, I can't fit anymore. So I've got to buy some new stuff. But Policy Genius can help you out with life insurance. Well, that's the deal. The pant, they can't do anything about my 32 to 34. Yeah, well, what they can you, help me. Yeah, maybe. Uh, what is that the. Never mind. I'm not going to ask. <laughs> Let's talk about life insurance mm-hmm. and Policy Genius. Now, how's it work? Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies. So you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. Eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. Wow. That's really good. Mm -hmm. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. How does it work? Well, getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com, policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work on how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. Okay, get it done. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right and right from the start. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Well, oh, we've got some emails. Let's start with our buddy Don. Uh, we encourage emails. We do. Bill Bennett Podcast uh, at gmail.com is where you can send your thoughts. And we try to address you know them you know periodically. And we'll try yep. to do a better yep. job to get them at every uh, show. Uh, so Don says, hey, Claude, I've been watching the human tragedy occurring in Texas involving Haitians trying to gain entry into the country just like the South American immigrants. We talked about that last show with... Um, uh, Mark Davis. Uh, I've been to Haiti four times over the past five years and on mission trips with the NGO Mission Possible. I'm curious as to why the Biden administration are treating the Haitian immigrants differently from other possible immigrants. Then we have the lie spread by the media and the White House that the Border Patrol agents are whipping the Haitians. Seems like uh, Biden, a racist by word indeed, is using the whipping lie to divert from the fact that only the Haitians are being returned to their country, but all others are allowed. There is total silence from our our racial social justice warriors and uh, Black Lives Matter on this. Pray for the Haitian people and this country. That's our buddy Don uh, Ugliano. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know the answer. Why? Yeah, I I agree. It looks different. And, of course, the whipping charge is totally ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Those are not whips those guys on horseback have. They're called reins. So I hope this thing ends. Yeah, there does seem to be a kind of uh, frowning at the Haitians that uh, didn't occur for other people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We'll see. Claude, we had another email. Someone taking yes. me to task on uh, my comments on President Trump. Right. And well, number one, you know, we always welcome any emails. I mean, if anyone wants to, you know, disagree or anything like that, that's fine. Just absolutely. Yeah. Just send in, uh, just send in the email. So this comes from Raymond uh, and he says, uh, dear uh, Dr. Bill Bennett and Claude, you both create the best podcast ever. So he likes the show. Right. It says, I enjoy every one of them. Read this one in full. I think this was very good. Sure. I enjoy uh, every one of them and even subscribe to Spotify to listen to Bill's discussion with Conrad Black and my hero from my alma mater, UCSC, Victor Davis Hanson. 
Unfortunately, Dr. Bennett, you offended me during your excellent interview with Ambassador Ryan Crocker. You said that Trump supporters would lambast you for Trump making the characterization of the Afghan war uh, a forever war. Uh, it is as if you characterize anyone who supports Trump as a mind numb robot who responds to the f- phrase forever war. Uh, you basically insulted the intelligence of Trump supporters. Uh, it goes on to say, are, and are you serious when you say that Trump bears responsibility for this tragedy in Afghanistan? You know full well that we have not had a president and a State Department head, Mike Pompeo, who really cared about our citizens overseas since Reagan. Uh, they coordinated rescues of Americans from overseas situations throughout their entire service. You know full well that the intelligence, uh, that if the intelligence had told Trump uh, that Americans would be stranded if we rapidly pulled out, Trump would have objected. Uh, Trump would have educated those triggered by forever wars that staying was necessary. Trump has credibility among that group. Biden is a moron. I'm sorry if I object with both of you, but I do like you. Just please don't be so righteous and glib on how different uh, you are to Trump and his supporters. All the best. Uh, There are several things here. That's a great uh, email. I appreciate it, Raymond. One, I either did mischaracterize Trump voters, or I did not. I actually think there is a clump of Trump voters who would say Trump forever, Trump for everything, Trump whatever it is. Sure. And he bears no responsibility for this. Mm -hmm. Those are the people I'm talking about. Right. Uh, He bears some responsibility for it. Not the most, not by any stretch. That's Biden. Happened on his watch. He's the decider in chief. He's the commander in chief. But I think a a big step was taken when the decision was made to negotiate with the Taliban. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was, um, it should never happen. They're terrorists and we should not negotiate with terrorists. We shouldn't back off from that, uh, from that idea. Now the question arises, would Trump have carried through on withdrawing because it was conditions based? I don't know. I'm open to the argument that he would not have, that he would have kept our guys there, that if the generals had come to him with the same advice they came to Biden, my guess is Trump would have gone with the generals, and we'd still be looking at 2,500, 5,000. Don't forget that 25, 5,000 is also supplemented by 7,000 from other countries plus contractors. I think it likely that's the situation uh, we'd be uh, we'd be looking at. Um and third, yes, Donald Trump showed us solicitude toward Americans, uh, American servicemen and Americans overseas and the protection of Americans overseas. We have not seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And believe me, that is much appreciated. Finally, I just say I, you know, I regarded myself as a Trump supporter. I was a pretty vocal Trump supporter. Sure. I think you and your friends. Yes. <laughs> for your golf story. <laughs> think I was a kind of a nutty, you know, mm-hmm. knee jerk Trump supporter. And I was glad to do so publicly. And having done so publicly, you know, it took some slings and arrows uh, sure. because of that. Uh, but, I, you know, fair is fair. Uh, and I just think that he bears some responsibility for where we are today. Mm-hmm. Minor compared to uh, Joe Biden, but something nonetheless. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.